Warning. This podcast contains true stories that are not intended for those missing a sense of humor. Any resemblance to actual events or allegations are purely coincidental. Before listening, please relieve yourself as possible adverse effects include spontaneous bladder leakage, mild hysteria, and sudden release of dopamine. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and guilty. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Karen. Welcome to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhos, Stacy Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. In this podcast, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria come together to share unique perspectives, engaging dialogue, entertaining commentary, and funny stories for those working in the healthcare industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria. Welcome to the first official episode of Coding Consultant Confessions. I am Stacy Buck, and here with me are Tony L. Holmes and Victoria Mull. And today, our topic is going to be stage fright to stardom, confessions from professional conference speakers. We have a lot of funny stories to share with you and some interesting experiences that the three of us have had in our speaking career. But before we get into talking about our path and then providing some tips for you, I actually was doing some reading earlier this week about the fear of public speaking. And I was surprised to see that they estimate that 77% of the population has a fear of public speaking. I knew it was high, but that is actually the number one social phobia. There are many phobias, as we all know. And for those of you who love big, fancy words, glossophobia is the word for public speaking. So boys and girls, that is the word for the day, (laughs) glossophobia, um, if you want to know the technical term. Since we all like medical terminology, working in the healthcare profession, um, you can impress people and use that term. So this is a great topic that's near and dear to my heart because I do a lot of public speaking. Tony does as well as Victoria. So we are just going to share with all of you today our journey into public speaking and then also give you some tips as well if you plan on pursuing public speaking. So Tony, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you share with us how you first got your start in public speaking? Yeah, so I'm super excited about this topic. Victoria named this episode perfectly because nobody starts out as like this amazing public speaker. Like it's incredibly rare for somebody to just like come out of the gate um, as a five-star speaker. So I started public speaking when I was in high school. Um, I always dreamed of being a lawyer. And so I participated on the debate team, mock trial. And so that's kind of where I put my foot in the door or got my foot in the door with speaking. I also took a, and Stacey, I think you mentioned this before. I also took a class in high school um, for professional speaking. And that class was invaluable because I learned so much about um, the techniques, about the different topics, whether you're doing something that is educational versus persuasive um, versus like, talking about somebody um, like a biography type of focus speech. So there's all of these different um, techniques and nuances that go into public speaking. But I think doing the actual public speaking is where you learn the most. You have to practice. um, You have to um, have a lot of presentations under your belt before you really get to that point where you start to feel comfortable and confident. So As I became more seasoned and started getting more speaking engagements, I immediately saw the return on investment. I was able to reach people at scale. I was able to um, impact people in a way that they would go back to their practices and say, hey, we really need to hire her as our consultant. Or um, 
you have the ability to deconstruct a very technical topic in a way that I've never seen before. That's feedback that I would get um, quite frequently, but it wasn't always like that. I used to be, um, especially when I first got into the healthcare space, I was 18 years old. Okay. I was a kid. Stacey, we were both like these young bloods. I have always from the beginning of my career been the youngest person in the room, the youngest person working there, the youngest manager. Um, and when I got into public speaking in, in this, in the healthcare space, it was very frightening um, because I'm looking at all of these people that have been in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years, and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to gain their respect? How am I going to um, make sure that they feel confident in what I'm saying? How am I going to establish myself as an authority when I'm the youngest person here? Like I, I look like I just graduated high school. So that was something that was really challenging in the beginning. Um, I would also say that um, one of the easiest ways to tell that somebody's kind of first starting out in their speaking career uh, is slide reading. That is something I think we probably all did at some point in our career, uh, but it's one of my biggest pet peeves. I absolutely cannot stand it. It drives me crazy because we all know how to read. Like that's just, you know, like basic stuff. So I was a slide reader at one time. <laughs> if you're a slide reader, uh, we've all been there. Um, but there's ways that you can gain confidence and comfortability in your topic without reading slides. Um, so we're going to talk, obviously, about some of the, the techniques and the strategies that you can employ. Um, but that's kind of how I started out. I, I Originally, when I got into healthcare, I started doing um, more coder-focused training, more like RevCycle team training. And then I got pushed into working with providers and physicians. And then um, it just kind of progressed from there. I started speaking at medical societies and different PACOM chapters and MGMA chapters. Um, I would speak at local chapters, local um, APC chapters. And that's probably one of the best places to start in a local AAPC chapter because you're in good company. You're with people that want to see you succeed for the most part. Um, and it's a friendly audience. So if you're just trying to figure out like, where do I start? How do I get started? I think that's probably one of the best places. So it's a most, it, I'm sorry, I'm going to reference. It's a mostly, it's a mostly friendly audience. And I'll share something later in the podcast when we talk about the experiences. That's true. Victoria, how did you, how did you get into speaking? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I myself am very much an introvert. I grew up extraordinarily shy, um, was known for not really talking to others, um, kept a very tight knit couple of friends my whole life. I wasn't, you know, anyone who always wanted to be the shining star of the show you know, when I started having to do public speaking presentations in classes, it always amused me that everyone was so afraid of that. And I kind of liked getting up on the stage in front of people and giving my spiel. Um, and I thought it was something I was kind of good at because I just, I didn't have that fear of it. I wasn't as worried about, you know, Ooh, what are people going to think of me and so forth. Um, and I kind of got a high off the fact that I, I, wasn't scared. And I, I enjoyed doing something that a lot of people, a lot of peers uh, were very intimidated by. Um, but yeah, I am someone who, who, uh, gosh, I think, I think we co I covered this when I was talking with like Brian Queer, maybe we brought it up during one of the medical coding geek podcasts where he talks about how there's different types of speakers and some people, they go up and they do their presentation and they want to talk to everyone afterwards. And then there's other people who kind of like back off and they're in the corner and they're like, I'm done. Um, and I've, I'm in this state now where I'm like decompressing because we're coming out of this pandemic and everyone's like, let's get back together and hang out. And I've got you guys to talk to. I've got my, my close personal friends to talk to. Now I've got this like group of mom friends and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just, who I need to be left alone for a little bit <laughs> to decompress. Cause this is a lot, this is a lot of socialization for me. 
Um, but yeah, so I have always enjoyed the, the aspects of public speaking. When I started getting kind of more into doing it professionally was shortly after I became certified as a CPCA, a certified coder apprentice, um, they had opened up in one of the local technical schools a position for an adjunct instructor because they had a fairly new medical billing and coding program. And I took on a position as an adjunct in the evening because I, I was having trouble finding a coding job, but somehow I found a coding education job. Uh, and they, they just wanted someone with the credentials and the experience. And uh, it was through uh, the Elsevier program, the step-by-step -step medical coding. So they provided all the slides for you and you, they give you the little narration. So I, I started out as a slide reader, just like Tony said, I had all of my slides and I just kind of read what it said in the little notes section and provided examples and things here and there to kind of adapt from that. Um, I got involved in my local chapter and I started talking as part of the local chapter, not doing presentations yet, but coming up going, hey, I'm Victoria, I do this for the you know local chapter, getting into that more feel of uh, speaking in front of a crowd of people as opposed to just a small classroom, and then started doing some smaller presentations just for the local chapter about whatever kind of topics at that point, I felt I had nailed down enough that I could explain it easily to others and provide some interesting narratives or perspectives or examples. And uh, around that time, I had written an article for Healthcare Business Monthly on breast reconstructive services and received an email from them later on saying, hey, well, why don't you come to HealthCon and present to us on breast reconstruction on the same topic? And it was interesting because, you know, one of my ultimate goals in my career at that point was like, oh, well, I want to speak at the national conference because that's like, I've made it, that I'm the speaker at the national conference, I'm the expert. And lo and behold, like I was still in my 20s, barely even started in my career, and I hit like my highest goal. And I'm like, okay, well, what the heck am I going to do from here? Um, because that was all I had thought of was like the, for the top tier thing. So it's been great trying to invent new creative ways to kind of go above and beyond, like what's my next step? What's my next step? Because you can only credential collect to such a degree. Like you only get to a point where you're like, okay, how many more initials do I really need behind my name, right? Um, so that's how, how I got started. And then since then I've spoken at uh, my local chapters. I started branching out and speaking, offering to speak at other local chapters. So I started going out to, there was a chapter in Doylestown. There isn't any longer. You go speak to them. Uh, speak at Lancaster. I've spoken at, you know, Harrisburg. And now virtually I've expanded out from that and spoken at a lot of different chapters across the nation and uh, spoken at various health cons at the national and regional level. And I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it virtually too. I think one of the things that's been nice about virtual is we've seen more people step up into speaking roles because they have that crutch where you can kind of look at your notes in PowerPoint and read off of them a little bit more without, you know, it, it being as obvious as it is in person where you're kind of like staring down at your notes. Um, and I think we're going to see a, a good progression of people who have used that stepping stone and use that as a, a tool to become more developed speakers in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very similar to Victoria in that I was always a very shy, introverted person. I was actually painfully shy. And that shyness is still with me to this day. And I know Tony, I recently Tony and I were having a, a text exchange and I said something to her about like having like, you know, severe like social anxiety and, she, and then being shy. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I would never have, you know, thought that about you. And it, it's true. I still to this day have social anxiety in professional settings. I'm mostly comfortable um, at this stage in my career. But if you put me somewhere outside of the professional setting and throw me in a group of people, I don't know. I want to like set myself on fire and run screaming out of the room. Like, seriously, I still have like that feeling. And I know that shocks people. But I was very shy and the thought of speaking in front of a group was absolutely terrifying to me. And I can remember in high school, we had to take a mandatory speech class, had to do it. 
And high school is not fun for a lot of people as it is for many different reasons. Let's just say I wasn't part of the in crowd or the popular crowd, and we'll just leave it at that. So I didn't dare want to get in front of, you know, the class and have to give speeches on a regular basis. And so what I would do is I would write out my speeches verbatim on note cards and stand up there and read my note cards to the whole entire class. That is just what I did to get through it. And my speech teacher in high school said, Stacy, you write great speeches. Rather than reading them to us, why don't you deliver them to us? Give them to us. I'm like, I don't think I can do that. Um, and, and the only time I finally loosened up was at the end of the semester when we had to do like a, a presentation that was recorded on video, which is super, super funny. And maybe I'll share that in a future podcast episode of what we did. Um, but me and my friend were movie critics and did movie reviews and had all kinds of fun with that. I got to get that VHS converted to DVD so I can show it to people. But anyway, so I, I made, made it through in high school. Well, then when I got to college, again, I have to take a mandatory speech class. And I'm not thrilled about taking this mandatory speech class. But when I joined this class, the instructor of this class was so phenomenal. She was she was probably one of the most influential people in my career, I would say. What I liked about her is in this class, I mean, this is a general education requirement that people are taking, you know, as part of a two-year degree program. So you have a whole mix of people in this class, and most people in there have no interest in public speaking, don't care, and they're terrified of it. And what I liked about her is she really worked with everybody and played to their strengths, where, you know, there are some people who that will just never be public speakers. It's not their desire. They don't want to build the skills. And but she got the best out of everybody that was in that class. And she really honed in on me and focused in on me because she saw something in me like potential wise. So she would spend extra time coaching me. But I can remember the first class that we had. She's like, you'll be giving a speech almost every week. I'm going to tell you the type of speech and then you have free reign of your topic, you know, talk about whatever you want and come deliver your speech. But she said, you will not write out your speech. You will only have an outline in front of you on note cards that terrified me because in high school I had every word written out on my cards and I could read it. She said, I will check your cards. No one will go up there with their speech written out. And you have your classmates critiquing you and evaluating you while you're doing your speech. You get a sheet from every student in the class. So that's a little intimidating. On top of it, you get to hear all their opinions. But by the end of that class, I had developed so much as a speaker under her that I was sad when the class ended. I was actually disappointed that I could no longer get up there and give my 10 minute speeches on the topic of my choice. And I, you know, even stepped into controversial areas. Oh, imagine that. I mean, when I was shy and quiet, I still, when I had a platform, I would sometimes step into controversy with speeches in college, but that really gave me the confidence to, to move forward. And so I remember the last speech I gave, it was like the final speech of the year. And I forget what type of speech we had to deliver. It must have been an instructional because I did a 10 minute speech on how to find the man that's right for you. That was my 10 minute speech. And I did research on it and gave this speech and it was well researched and like funny and like entertaining. And well, either A, what I learned was a bunch of BS or I forgot it because all these years later, I'm still single. I've never been married. My guy picking skills have been total crap. So even though I got an A plus 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 on the speech, that's as far as it went <laughs> in that category. So it makes me laugh to think that that was, she thought that was my best speech of the year when clearly something went awry like after I gave the speech. I'm not exactly sure what that was. And then after that, it was, you know, going on to the bachelor's level and having to give presentations, you know, when you're working on your bachelor's. And then just I started to speak with audio seminars. That was back in the, the old days. Again, I'm older than these two ladies. We didn't have webinars. You know, we were looking at the screens. You had the phone and you would print out your PowerPoint, you know, slides and listen over the, the speaker phone when somebody was talking. And so it's a little less intimidating to start that way because people aren't looking at you. So I got comfortable speaking about my subject matter without having people actually look at me. Then it evolved to going to local HIM association meetings, speaking there, then speaking at the state level for FHIMA. Those of you who watched the pilot episode <laughs> know the joke that's in there. Um, and then eventually I was speaking at national AHIMA. I spoke at national conventions for them. And then I've also spoken at multiple health cons. So it's just really been a great progression. And so for those of you who are out there who are the shy, quiet, 
more introverted people, you definitely can do this. I never would have thought teenager Stacy would have never thought that the thing that I enjoy the most is public speaking so much so I cannot stand being an audience member. I am so impatient. I want to go up and grab the microphone from whoever's talking and just take over. Like that's just, that's like where I feel like it's just right. It like flows and it's like what I was born to do. And I'm not the most polished person, but you know what? I don't care because people like to listen to me because they're like, I feel like we're just sitting and having a conversation. You're not talking at me or talking down to me. So what you see is what you get. And like Tony said, that that um, skill that comes with taking that technical subject matter and breaking that down into simple terms. I get that from a lot of people. They're like, not only, you know, do I not get bored listening to you because it's just like we're having a friendly conversation, but you have a way of taking this complex subject matter and breaking it down into simple terms. So I just love it. I mean, one of my first career choices, I thought about being a teacher. And the only reason I didn't get into teaching was because when I got into college, I'm like, wait a second, teachers don't make a lot of money. I need to like rethink this. You're not going to make a lot of money being a teacher. And so I'm thrilled that I've been able to take my passion into this profession and actually spend a lot of time doing teaching and also speaking. So all three of us, we've been doing this for a long time and there are challenges definitely with public speaking. We all have probably had situations where we wanted to run screaming out of the room. <laughs> Things that happen unexpectedly. Um, it might be technical difficulties. It could be a difficult audience member. Oh no, that would like never happen. Um, you know, just those unexpected things that come up. As, as, as much as we prepare, you always have to be prepared for the unexpected. I think both of you would agree with that because you never know what could possibly happen. So Tony, I'm going to start with you. What are some challenges that you have faced as a public speaker? It has been a very challenging journey. <laughs> um, and just when you feel like you've got it figured out, you get thrown a curveball. That's just how this works. So I mentioned this earlier. I have pretty much always been the youngest person in the room. So when I started doing public speaking, that was a big challenge because what would often happen is I would be in a room full of people that um, were further in their career. And so there would always be that one person or that group of people in the back that's um, like causing a ruckus, like they're trying to be disruptive or they're grandstanding. They're, they're trying to make you look like you don't know what you're talking about. And when you're first starting out, that can be really challenging. I remember it happened to me several times. And at, at this one particular meeting, I remember my boss coming up to me and saying, hey, you are losing control of the room which is the worst thing that you could do as a speaker, losing control of the room. Because if you do that, you've lost everybody. Um, and, and so what happens is the room just becomes this, like this chaos, it's, it's out of control. So that boss taught me exactly how to deal with difficult people. So what I had to do is I had to <laughs> work up enough courage and enough um, gumption to actually go to the person that was causing these issues and stand right next to them. So if somebody's giving you a hard time in a presentation and you're live, obviously it's different if you're virtual. Um, I will say I, I much prefer in, in person presentations because of the vibe, the energy. I feel like I can really connect with people. I'm not talking at people. I'm talking to them. I can see their, their body language and, and their facial expressions. In that instance, I had to walk up to a physician and I had to basically stand there and show him with my body that I was in control of the room and that he wasn't going to take that away from me. That was a really difficult situation, but it taught me how to deal with the bullies and how to deal with the people that want to bring you down in that moment. The worst thing you could do as a speaker is lose control of the room. So that was something that was very challenging in the beginning of my career, especially, like I said, um, I was already a public speaker, but getting into healthcare is like its own thing. Um, another, another nuance of working in healthcare is we have our own language, right? We've got 
medical terminology. <laughs> um, and, and when I worked in consulting, I had to work with a lot of different specialties. So I could be working one day with dermatology. I could be working another day with neurosurgery and spine surgery and orthopedics and cardiology. Like you're just jumping all over the place. And when you're working with people that are in these specialties, the terminology is very important. So I made the mistake of um, not pronouncing all of the terminology correctly, and I was called out for it, right? Um, and and the people that love to call you out are, are usually the physicians or people that are, are very seasoned in that specialty. So it was embarrassing. Um, and I remember when I was taking medical terminology in school, my instructor said, you need to know how to pronounce these words because you are not going to be credible. You are not going to be considered um, a, 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 a credible source if you don't know how to speak the language. So I learned before I would go into any presentation where there was terminology that I was not familiar with to do my research beforehand and make sure that I practice all of my terminology. So I can now say with confidence, spondylolisthesis. I can now say these words that are very, very intimidating when you see them um, only because I learned the hard way. You have to really know your medical terminology, not just what it means, but how to pronounce it because that establishes your credibility and authority to even speak about the subject. So those are just a couple of challenges that I've had and, and lessons that I've learned along the way. Victoria, what do you think? I first just want to say that um, when I record some of my presentations for like webinars or courses, and there's a word that I have trouble pronouncing, I hack it by looking up how to pronounce it phonetically and then pasting that into my notes so that when I come across it, I can look at the phonetic breakdown of how I'm supposed to say that. That's a great hack. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, as far as, as far as challenges, you know, kind of like Tony says, you, you, you do periodically get that person who's sitting there like, let's see what an expert you are. And I'm going to show you that I know more than you do about this. Go ahead. And they're like, kind of like waiting for you to slip up. Um, not every presentation, not all the time, but that's, that is a characteristic of, of, an audience member that you will encounter, I'm sure, at some point during your speaking career. But yeah, I've had a lot of technical difficulties. And every time it happens, you know, you learn how to avert them for the next time. Um, I remember one of my one of my national speaking engagements, I got there and uh, I, I wasn't even aware that I had to bring my laptop to do my presentation. But thankfully, I did. Um, plugged everything in, got it all set up. And I'm like, yeah, so where's my room clicker so I can advance my slides? Cause I'm like a walker and they're like, oh yeah, we don't have any clickers. So you're just going to have to hit the space bar every time you want to advance your slides. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the next time I bought, I went on Amazon and I bought myself a clicker so that if I need to advance my slides while I'm walking around, I can advance my own slides in case the room doesn't have a PowerPoint slide advancer for me. Um, but yeah, I, I was once at a presentation where I think I had hundred plus people in attendance and I had this fun game planned and, um, they, there was a software update and the game slides didn't advance like they were supposed to, it, everyone was supposed to be able to text in their responses and it wasn't working correctly. So, you know, I, I fiddle faddled with it for about two minutes and I'm like, you know what, it's okay. We'll just read the questions and do the quiz, you know, live in person and you sweat yourself, you know, silly when these things are happening. Uh, but you have to maintain like that composure about it. Like, oh no, it's no big deal. And internally there's, you know, vomiting butterflies in your stomach. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's a lot of technical difficulties that I've, I've faced. And that I think is usually my biggest challenge. Um, even things like network things, you know, so you find as a speaker that there are certain places where you're like, here I go, I've got my presentation on my USB drive. And then they're like, oh, well, you're not allowed to plug that in here because of security purposes, because it might have a virus on it. So, you know, you go to the next presentation and you're like, oh, well, I'll put it on the cloud. So that way I can access it from everywhere. And then it's like, oh, well, you have to be 
a member of this hospital and sign in with your hospital sign in to be able to access it. So you, you learn those creative ways that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to send myself my presentation 16 ways to Sunday, email it to the person, you know, so that you have uh, apparently an infinite number of backups in case you would need them. I think we're almost getting to the point though. And I haven't checked the technology in a, in a while, but I think we are getting to the point now with technology that you are able to get projectors that are almost like the size of your phone that you could like load your presentation in so that in the, in the unfortunate circumstance where like, you're like, I have nothing and I can't get to anything. You could just be like, okay, here we go. I'm just going to set my phone here. And now we've got the projector going um, because it never, it, as tech savvy as I am and as prepared as I am, there always seems to be something new that happens to come up. It could be that your internet's not working. You go to play a video and the audio's not working. There's just, you always have to be prepared for some sort of, of backup plan for how you're doing your presentation. And you also need to be prepared that in the event that like everything goes wrong, like what are you going to do? If you don't have anything, if you, your slides are not working at all and you have to just do it off the cuff, like it, there's always that possibility that that might happen. And I have seen people and it's, it's hard to watch. It's like, tra it's like a watching a train wreck when you sign on to like a, a, even a zoom meeting now. And someone's like, I don't know how to get control of the slides. I don't know how to give you control of the slides. Well, I can't do my presentation. Well, I can advance the slides for you. That's not going to work. That's not how I set up this presentation. It was very meticulous. Like I've seen physicians lose their over, over technical flaws. So Backup, 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 backup plan. And worst case scenario, if you have to go out without your slides, you know, know your presentation. Yeah, I think we can all relate to technical issues. I mean, that's something that's like unavoidable because every conference is set up different. Some people you send in stuff in advance and they have it preloaded and others you don't. You bring your own laptop or others say blink, bring a flash drive. It's not uniform as far as like industry, like from meeting to meeting what they do. So it's all a little different there. So one thing that like happened to me, like I've experienced the technical difficulties or like um, HealthCon one time. HealthCon, you, I brought my own laptop with my presentation on it. And I'm getting ready to go into my presentation. It's like coming up next. I'm sitting in a session before I go to mine and I decide I'm going to boot up my laptop. Well, my laptop decides it needs to do an update. And so it's updating, 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 updating. And I'm like, this update better be like done before I get in that room. And I need to plug in. It just made it like just in the nick of time. I was like sweating like bullets like over that. So yeah, make sure all your software updates are not going to occur right before you're going to do your presentation. Um, that's happened to me. And then again, just different things with the room. You got to get the, the hotel AV people in there to help you. If something's not working. We've all been through that. But I spoke at, this was several years ago. This was a national conference that I spoke at for AHRA, which is a, the American Healthcare Radiology Administrators. And there you send in your presentation and then they have it preloaded on a computer in the room for you. That's how it's supposed to work. Well, for that to work properly, you actually have to send them your PowerPoint slides. So what I did and didn't realize was I had created a PDF file and sent in the PDF file for the handout for my presentation because I like to format my own PDFs, but I never sent the actual PowerPoint slides. Now, it was some miracle, some divine intervention that approximately three hours before I'm supposed to give my presentation, it dawns on me. Out of the blue, thought hits my head about the presentation. For some reason, I, in that moment, I remembered, you never sent them your PowerPoint slides. You only sent them the PDF file. I don't know why it came to me out of the blue. It just did. And guess what? I didn't bring my laptop to this conference because I was only going away overnight. And if I travel overnight in the state of Florida, Orlando, two hours away, I don't lug the computer with me. I don't like doing it. It's safer at home rather than lugging it all over. I'm like, crap, what do I do? What do I have? Well, they had my PDF file. So this gentleman who was there working as part of the AV team and kind of, you know, helping oversee this conference, he said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I am going to create a set of PowerPoint slides for you out of your PDF file. 
He took screenshots of every slide from that PDF document and slapped the screenshots on into a PowerPoint template. That man had my PowerPoint presentation all recreated for me. So thank God that was the case. Now, worst case scenario, I could have stood up there with the handout in front of me, you know, looking at it and talking to my audience. I had my material, but that's not going to be, you know, a very effective presentation. So I was so thankful for that man. And then when I went back to thank him, like later he was gone and I never get, get to see him again. But you're not always going to have somebody, one, who A, who would even think to do that, and B, would actually take the time and sit there for as many, I probably took him a good hour and a half maybe to like do that like for me to like put that all back together. So that was like panic, like attack, like averted. I, I mean, it's a national conference. We're not talking local. It couldn't happen at a local meeting. It happens, this room is full of people at the national level. So that was one thing that happened at a national conference. And then another thing that happened to me, this had to do with an audience member. And I'm pretty sure this was at HealthCon. It may have been the first HealthCon that I spoke at. And whatever topic I was talking on, the person in the audience was challenging me on something that I was saying, and they would not back down. They were very argumentative with me about the particular issue, and they wouldn't stop. And it's one of those things where Tony talks about losing control of the room. I felt like I was losing control, and I'm like, how do I stop this? Because the person wouldn't stop, and there wasn't anybody in the room to stop it. I don't know. There should be a facilitator in rooms at conferences. There usually you know, are. But what I did, I was desperate and I was panicking and I needed to shut it down. So what I did was I, I flipped I flipped the script and it probably wasn't the nicest thing for me to do, but I was trying to think fast on my feet to shut it down. And so I said, well, okay, I said, let me do this. I said, I'm going to ask this question. Is there anybody else in this room who agrees with what she is saying? I go, please raise your hand. No one raised their hand. I said, okay, I think we settled it or whatever I said. And then it was quiet and we moved on. So it was kind of rude on my part, but it was just like, how do you get, when no one is intervening on your behalf, how do you get the person to, to back off? So that was the difficult thing. And then a funny thing that happened, I was teaching a class in Connecticut many years ago and I split my pants. I bent over during the presentation and I split my pants. So during break, thank goodness I had some safety pins. I am like in the bathroom actually safety pinning my pants back together in the butt crack so I could go back and finish talking. So you may want to bring a spare pair of pants or make sure they're not tight in the rear end if you may have to bend over. So just a little you know, piece of advice there to have a change of clothing, perhaps when you <laughs> should you have the unthinkable, thinkable happen. So those are just a few things that were stressful that happened to me um, during my very lengthy speaking career. I could come up with other things too, pet peeves and whatnot, but that pretty much <laughs> sums it up that there. So crazy. Oh my gosh, Daisy. Wow. Wow. That reminds me of a time where I, there was a speaker and they were wearing these black leggings and these black leggings, I guess they didn't know were see-through. And so everybody in the room could see the speaker's stuff. And it was, it was so awkward because she didn't even know. <laughs> That's like the of friends where Monica's doing the karaoke and she's horrible, but they're all cheering her on because you could see through her blouse when she's doing the karaoke. So the men are like, Woo! that's what that reminds me. Of. It's totally right. Except it was like all women. Right. So like, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it was just crazy. But oh. Stacy, like, wow, your pants split. That's like, I have nightmares about that. <laughs> How do you recover from that? <laughs> You, 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 I had to act like it didn't happen and hope that nobody else noticed that it happened. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need a break. I need a break. We need to go on break. And then thankfully, like I said, I had something to pin it back together because I was stuck until I got back to the hotel at the end of the day. I had to, like, wear those pants for the rest of the day while I was up there in front of a whole group of people. Stacy's like, crab walking to the bathroom to go pin <laughs> I cannot even imagine the stress you felt, like, in that moment. Oh, my God. It was bad. That was probably the technical difficulties. Like those are, you know, frustrating and a little bit embarrassing, but the splitting of your pants, that's like a whole nother 
level like there. The technical stuff you expect. You don't expect to have your pants rip while you're speaking. <laughs> theoretical question, which would you have rather had happen? You split your pants or you vomit in front of everyone? <laughs> splitting yeah, my pants. and there's a reason why I would never want to vomit in public which I am not going to share publicly I will share with you ladies off okay off camera off podcast because it's too embarrassing to share publicly but yeah definitely I would take and the last thing I want to do is vomit in public I, I don't because there's yeah I don't want to do that they say that's like the one of the number one fears of kids that like one of the, as a kid, like your number one fear is that you're going to throw up in front of your classmates in school. I actually, <laughs> I actually, so I remember this, this is a funny story. Briefly vacation Bible school, like one summer we would all get into the van. Okay. And go to vacation Bible school. Well, somebody got sick. They threw up, which triggered that domino effect, vomit, vomit, vomit. So we're in a van with multiple people vomiting because some people do vomit when they see somebody else vomit. And so everybody's covered in vomit by the time we get to the church for vacation Bible school. That is crazy. That reminds me. Okay. So when I was pregnant, I had the worst HG, which is like, it's like the most severe nausea you could ever have. And I was doing a um, education session with a, thankfully it was an OBGYN group <laughs> and they would always want to do their sessions over lunch. And so the providers would eat their lunch and then I would, you know, do my thing while they're eating their lunch. And one of the doctors had sushi and it was like not fresh sushi, clearly. And I just hurled right on the table oh, in no. front of everybody. There was oh, like five no. doctors in there. Thankfully it wasn't like, you know, a room full of people. But it was so embarrassing because I couldn't control it. <laughs> and thankfully, they're obese, so, like, they get it. But, like, yeah. it was super embarrassing. <laughs> that is horrifying. That is a horrifying story. I just can't even with that. Just awful. Terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was bad. So if I'm pregnant, like, don't don't sit next to me with your food. It's just not a good idea. <laughs> So, okay, I want to share one more quick funny story. This is like off topic, but this is something embarrassing that happened to me, and it is a funny story, okay? So I'm going to share it here. <laughs> this happened with a client when I went to a client site, okay? So I am, I went to Atlanta. This was visiting a client in Atlanta. It's the first time I'm meeting them face-to-face. -face. I'm there with a team of coders. We went there to get trained on a project. Well, it was cold, and it was supposed to snow when we were there. So I wore my boots on my feet, like my army boot looking things, hadn't worn them in years, had sat in my closet forever. Well, walking over to training, the sole of my boot cracks in half. So, and it's flopping around. So I'm greeting my client with this floppy boot, okay? So embarrassed, so horrified, clomp, 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 clomp with that. One of the girls says, I have some glue shoe in my office. She's like, let me go get my, you know, my shoe glue for you. So she brings in the shoe glue. I'm squirting it on the sole of the boots. So I could put it back together and it smells horrible. We're in the classroom and it smells horrible. Then I had to set the table on top of it to smush it down to get it to adhere, like right to the thing. So I'm walking around with only one boot on my foot when I have to get up because this is being like glued, okay? So the end of the day, we have to. We were close enough to walk back to the hotel. The training center was next to the hotel, so we had walked over. So we leave. Now it has started snowing in Atlanta. There's more to the snow Atlanta story, which maybe I'll ta talk about in a future episode. It was one of the craziest trips like ever. But now it's snowing. We have snow on the ground. Like can't see the grass. Okay, snowing. And I got to come out with my boot. Well, I thought my boot was okay, but my boot was not okay. It cracks in half, it cracks in half again, and it's flopping around again. So I am so ticked off that this has, like, happened, okay? Now I'm in snow, and I need the boots, but you know what I did? 
I stopped and I ripped the sole off of that boot, the whole thing, and I threw it down in the ground and I kept walking back to the hotel with only one, one full boot on my feet. And my, my um, coworkers, the people who I had hired to work this project with me, they had walked ahead of me and they were looking back and they see me like mad, like throwing my arms around and, you know, I'm swearing and they're like, what is wrong with her? And then when I walk over there and they see my foot i'm like okay, the soul is back there in the snow i'm like that's where i left it so yeah that was my funny little boot story there and that didn't like go over like well so that was super embarrassing to be in front of a client like that you know you're you want to put your best foot forward haha and then you have your soul coming off of your boot so yeah, and the snow didn't help. That was another whole thing. We got snowed in, flights were canceled, and they told us we couldn't get out for three days, and that's a whole other story for another day. But that just made me think of that was one of my really highly embarrassing moments, falling apart in front of my brand-new client. Biggest client I ever had to that day and even to this day. It was Emory. It was Emory University Department of Radiology, looking like a complete idiot with my boot falling off my foot. <laughs> They're probably like, we pay you enough money, Stacey, to, to afford some butter shoes. <laughs> well, after I started working with them, yes, I was able to buy a lot more shoes. And now people who know me, now I have an extensive collection. I've got many, many boots and many, many pairs of shoes. But I'm in Florida. I don't need to wear cold weather shoes. Even in the winter, you know, Tony, you don't have to wear them. You can get away without them. So I used to travel and wear open-toed shoes. The trip to Connecticut where I ripped my pants it was snowing and I only had open toed shoes and people were laughing at me. I'm like, I'm from Florida. That's all I have. I have a leather jacket and open toed shoes. I'm sorry. And now I'm standing here in ripped pants. Total mess. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Have you guys ever worn heels and had one of your heels break? Oh yes. yes. I've had that happen too. Absolutely. <laughs> Crack, fall off. Oh yeah, I've had that. But I've usually had an extra pair, a spare pair in that case. What about a conference? So, but yeah, it's happened. I've never had a heel break, but I have had people laugh at, I went through this one period where I loved wearing like super tall heels, but when they get past like three, four inches, like, it gets difficult to walk in them. So I was walking kind of funny in them, but I thought I looked really good. And I'm, I'm tall. I'm like five foot 10. So I always just thought it was so cool to like, show up in my heels and like tower over all the providers so I could kind of like look all kind of like peacock and look all intimidating. That's hilarious. I could picture you walking in those heels. <laughs> if you've seen somebody that can't walk in heels, like it's, it's hilarious. That's pretty funny. So the other thing I did, see, this is bringing up like other stories. So going to a health con several years ago, you know, I drive to Orlando because it's two hours from me and I get to Orlando. I'm almost there. And I'm like, I didn't bring, I was only going overnight for this one health con. I wasn't staying like, you know, any further. It was just going to speak mainly. And I'm almost to Orlando and I'm like, Hmm, like I left my clothes at home hanging over top of the door. I don't have anything to wear to speak. I have my like yoga pants and my like workout shirt and like that's it that I'm in right now in my pajamas. So I had to go to TJ Maxx and thankfully TJ Maxx, I was able to scrounge up an outfit for under $50 just to get in front of the audience and speak. So yeah, I forgot my clothes at home. So it's, it's things like that that just happen. Okay, so <laughs> that's our comic relief for the day. Some, some of my interesting experiences there. So let's wrap up and share some tips with, with our audience. So what are your top tips for overcoming stage fright? Or just not necessarily that, but just becoming a successful public speaker. Like what are your top tips, Tony? Yeah, so I think the biggest one is, um, I said this earlier, practice, practice, practice. Nobody starts out as like this incredible dynamic public speaker. Takes a lot of practice. Volunteer at your local chapter because generally those audiences are going to be a lot more friendly than let's say if you're getting paid a thousand dollars to teach a workshop, you, you don't want to show up and not be, um, credible and authoritative and, and deliver a really great presentation. If you're getting paid to do it, the stakes are much higher. I would also say your audience, for the most part, 
for the most part, wants to see you succeed. I personally, and I don't think anybody does, wants to watch an uncomfortable mess. Like, it makes me feel bad for that person. Like, I've, I've literally, like, I'm feeling bad for you if, if you're, you know, a mess. And so I think everybody in the audience, for the most part, wants you to succeed. Now, there's always going to be the Karen or the Ken, right, that is going to try to test you. That comes with the territory. And when it happens to you, just know it's happened to everybody. The other um, tip I would say is don't be afraid to engage your audience. Ask them questions. Make it interactive. Like, please, for the love of God, do not sit there and read to people. Do not sit there and talk at people. Engage them. One of the biggest uh, feedback or feedback points that I get when I speak is that People enjoy hearing me speak. They like the tone of my voice. They like the inflection. They like the facial expressions. They like that they feel like I'm having a conversation with them. I'm not treating them like I'm, I'm reading this technical book and, and, and we're going to you know read together. Like It's not like that. It's a conversation. Whether I'm talking to five people or a thousand people, I'm talking to them like I'm having a conversation because that's what you're there to do. You're there to educate and inform you're not there to berate people, talk down to people, belittle people, make people feel inferior because you're standing up there. I think that's just a very, very bad approach. If you're somebody that has a more monotone voice, be mindful of that. Nobody wants to hear a monotone speaker. Um, it's very, very difficult. You'll, you'll catch people nodding off. You see people nodding off in the audience. Like that's your cue. Like you need to kick it up a notch. You need to, you know, change the energy up a little bit. Um, Victoria said this earlier. I think it's the best tip. Bring your own clicker so that you're not glued <laughs> to the podium. You can stay at the podium if that's what makes you feel comfortable. But I think when you move around and you work the room, you get a different vibe. You create a different energy and a different experience. Um, the last tip I would say is know how to use demonstrables effectively, okay? So when I do a presentation, I have very little on my slides, okay? I'm using pictures. I'm using a few bullet points. I'm not using like, um, I'm not putting a book into a, a presentation. I'm not like sitting there writing a formal thesis in a slide, like that's not going to be effective with the audience. So know how to use demonstrables um, effectively. So use visuals, use graphs, talk in numbers, um, give, you know, statistics, make it relatable. Uh, don't just sit there and print off your slide deck and give it to the audience and think that that's a demonstrable because it's not. Um, there's tip sheets, there's cheat sheets. There's like all of these additional things that you can do to enhance your presentation. Because at the end of the day, a presentation is an experience. You want to create a great experience for your audience. So I think some of the best speakers are the ones that create that really great experience. Definitely. No, I love that. And that was one of the tips that I wanted to bring up. You touched on as well, like your audience is on your side. They want you to do a good presentation. You know, uh, people are, are uh, very nervous about giving presentations in front of the audience. So what are they going to think? What are they, they, they like? They want it. They're there to see a good presentation. They're on your side. They want you to perform well. Um, as far as my best tip really though, is your first sentence or two is really going to set the stage for your presentation. And there's no bigger pet peeve than I have during presentations, especially in organization-wide things where your speaker comes up and they're like, all right, well, hey, everyone, I know none of us want to be here today. Um, I've got this exciting presentation on E&M coding, you know, it's Friday, you know, we, we all have better places we want to be. Uh, but we're all going to get through this together. So uh, here we go. Like, that's that's not how you want to set the tone for your presentation. It doesn't matter if it's technical information. There is a way to bring your audience in. People really connect with stories. And that's one of the things I've found have really bought me the audience 
in the past is when you can, and it doesn't have to be like an elaborate thing, but I've had presentations where I came in and told, you know, like a funny story about my kid and what she kind of thought about being a medical coder or what she kind of thought I did as a medical coder. And it just helps give, lift that, that spirit. I give everyone a good laugh. And it's funny, but when people laugh during a presentation, when you have that, that wit about you where they can feel comfortable and, and you, and they relate and they laugh, like they, automatically tend to think you are very intelligent, like they perceive you as being a more intelligent person. And it brings them in, they're more engaged. So really setting the tone during your presentation, having that good hook is critical, especially in those larger ones where you're going to a health con or where you're presenting at a conference. Um, and there's lots of great um, public speaking type presentations, webinars, YouTube videos that you can talk, that you can see that tell you about how to get that hook in there, how to hook your audience in that first minute or two, where you can give something relatable and then go, oh, you know, I'm Victoria and I do da 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 da. And then also I'm going to talk to you today about blah, 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 to kind of get them engaged in that first minute or two. Um, and then, you know, of course, the second step of that is keeping them engaged. Like Tony said, having that, that, uh, discussion with the audience, a way to kind of bring them in. And there's various ways to do that, you know, ask a question and kind of get some feedback. There's, there's lots of things you can do as far as trying to pull your audience in so that you're having that conversation versus, oh, you're my student. And I'm talking to you because you're my student and you're learning from me because I'm the teacher and you're the student. Like you have to, you have to be on that level playing field with even adult learners, even if you're doing a certification of prep, and especially when you're talking with providers, you don't want to make them feel like, oh, the providers are so dumb that they don't know these insurance guidelines, but I'm so smart. I'm going to teach you. Like you, you can't, you can't do that. You have to come in and, and be strong and be steadfast and, and know your audience, be able to maintain that, that, that audience. Um, yeah. And you don't always, you know, with, when we're, when we're talking about starting out, and you're doing things like those local chapter presentations, you don't have to be the highest authority of something in there, but well researched on what you're going to be presenting on and know when you don't know an answer and be able to have that um, prepared piece that you're going to say that you're like, oh, you know what, I don't know that particular concept. But if you can catch up with me after the presentation or shoot me an email, I will look into that for you to get you an answer, like having that scripting prepared for those kinds of instances. That's all great advice. So I'll kind of tag on a little bit to what Victoria was just saying. I don't need to repeat what the ladies have already repeated, but I would say knowing your topic very well, it's going to put you at ease if I even myself, when I'm sometimes when I'm presenting something new for the first time, I may be a little bit nervous like with it until I finally find my groove. So if you're first starting out as a speaker, you want to pick that first speaking engagement, a topic, you know, inside and out as best as you possibly can, because that will come through in your presentation and it will definitely help settle the nerves. You'll be surprised once you get talking about something that you really know very well it's actually very easy. And then you're not as reliant on the PowerPoint slides that you think you might need to be or your notes. Early on, I used to prepare notes and I would never use the notes um, whenever I was doing presentations. The other thing I would say is know your audience, understand the group of individuals that you're talking to, because you may have to tweak how you're presenting depending upon who you're presenting to and how you approach them. You know, I know all three of us, we have spoken to the audience's at conferences, which are people like us, the medical coders, the auditors, but then we've also spoken to physicians. And so when you're speaking in front of a physician group, you speak with them very differently than you would a group of medical coders. And, you know, Vic, you know, Victoria talked about sharing a story. And I think Victoria, when you were on my podcast, we talked about like humor and appropriate use of humor. And we had a discussion about that. And I'm like, everybody's sense of humor is a little bit different. So you kind of have to be, you know, careful with how you, um, approach that. But I feel like with doctors that can, that kind of can help if you can find a way to work humor 
and with physicians, because I feel that sometimes those settings are very stiff. And a lot of times doctors don't want to be in these meetings. They want to be seeing their patients, doing procedures. And so I actually had an experience a few years ago where I went to do education for a group of interventional radiologists. And I had barely slept for days. I had been gone to Orlando over the weekend and I was running on fumes and it's end of the day. I'm like, I do not want to be here doing this like right now. Like I wasn't feeling it, but I got a little bump because I walk in the room and they're the most gorgeous group of interventional radiologists I've ever seen in my life. I was like, hello. And the one doctor who's the most beautiful in the group, I'm like, oh, Dr. So-and-so, you have the best documentation I've ever seen. <laughs> and he's like, why, thank you. So I'm a little flirty with that doctor, you know, kind of like setting the tone there. And then, and it was, I could tell they were a good group and they were not uptight. Like some groups of doctors are very buttoned up and they're very serious and joking. You, you just don't do it. But I'm like, they're cool. They're younger and they're cool. So the one doctor, so then they start engaging with me and they want to hear, you know, about coding and they're asking different questions, which was shocking to me because usually they want in and out, but they wanted to discuss things. And the one doctor said to me, so he's like, what is your experience with prostate embolizations? And I said, well, personally, I've never had one. And the whole room just starts laughing. Like the doctors are laughing hysterically. And I'm like, I killed it. I killed it with a room of doctors because you never get doctors laughing like that. So that was just a way of injecting humor. And then, I, of course, I answered his question about the coding. Obviously, he was talking about that. But that was a fun, a fun meeting. Again, it's just in how you approach them. But you need to read them when you're making introductions and all that. You know, are they more serious? Are they more loose and, and kind of fun? And so that was a really fun experience there. And just the last thing I'll say quickly, because we're coming to the end of our time, is when you are doing public speaking, you are going to get evaluations from your audience members. And that, when you're first starting out, that can be kind of stressful. Um, it could also shake your confidence a little bit because even, and I noticed this when I was first speaking, you could have a room of 100 people and 99 people in the room could think you're great. And there's one person who's gonna be negative, that negative Nancy who is not even really gonna give you constructive feedback. They're just gonna be negative and nasty. And it's trying to look past that because I would focus on that one person that didn't like me and I wouldn't even pay much attention to the 99 that did enjoy me. So you have to learn to let that roll off your back you will get negative feedback no matter how good of a speaker you are. There, you will always get negative feedback, but learn to take constructive criticism. There are things that when I see them on an evaluation, I look at them and I say, okay, is this constructive criticism? Can I improve? Can I do this better? And then you can use that feedback to improve in future presentations. So there's both sides of that. Take what is helpful advice and then the negative people just completely ignore that. I would say there's probably one in almost every group I speak to where you're like, are you kidding me? Like, really? Like, where are you coming from? So with that said, I'm just going to give you ladies another moment if you just want to wrap up and maybe share a comment. You got on an evaluation quickly before we wrap up. And Tony's like, oh, my God. You, you hit the nail on the head, Stacey. I think you're right. It can be really tough when you do, when you blow it out of the park and you're like, I killed it. And then you see that one negative Nancy, that's just like trying to bring you down. Right. Um, you're we're, we've all had those. Um, we still have those. They, they never go away. Um, don't take it personal. I think, um, like Stacy said, use it as a teaching moment. If you can improve upon it, great. If not, then just disregard it. One of the things that I commonly get for feedback, and I just think this is kind of a ridiculous thing. And you know what, Victoria, I think you've also said this. Some some people say this about you. Um, people say that I speak too fast. Tony, you're talking too fast. And it's like, I'm not talking too fast. I'm just talking the way that I, that I talk. And I'm sorry if it's too fast. I'll try to slow it down. But it's just like, I can't change who I am, right? I'm certainly not doing it because I'm nervous or I'm uncomfortable. I'm doing it because that's just how I talk. So that's something that bothers me. And I see you guys shaking your head. So you probably don't I do it you. all the time. Like it's funny. So I'm going to name drop here. So last fall, I was having a phone conversation with Terry Fletcher and I'm, we're just talking, blah, blah, conversing. And she's like, Oh my goodness, you talk so fast. You're just like my daughter. And I'm like, I don't know any other way to talk. It's just how I am. And, and I do it in speaking. I get that 
a lot just like you. Yeah, for some reason that, I don't know why that comment gets under my skin, but for some reason it really like upsets me. Even though some people will be like, I'm so sorry, I don't mean this in any offensive way, but you're speaking too fast. And like immediately my mind is like, well, you're just understanding too slow. <laughs> like, and that's a terrible thing to think. Um, and it's it's terrible too on YouTube videos because there is a setting where you can just slow it down. And it's like, you could you could just slow down the audio. I sometimes speed mine up if people are talking too slow. I'll, I'll set the speed up so it goes faster so I can absorb it faster. I don't know why the heck that comment gets under my skin so bad. I wish it didn't, but for some reason it does. Um, but yeah, I, I remember the first time I did a CPC review. So if you're a local chapter officer, they supply you with the materials to do a CPC certification review. And, you know, they've made some advancements over them for them over the years, but they're very dry. Some of them, it's like hard to even follow what you're supposed to say or do. You look at the slides and you're like, what do I even say here? Like, okay, here's this. Um, so the first time I did them for my chapter, you know, I was just starting out, I offered it for free. So we had a handful of people sign up, come to the hospital, watch me go through the 300 and some odd whatever slides of CPC review. They're very dry. They're not great. It is what it is. At the time, you know, I wasn't about to invest uh, days and, and weeks of my time to redo 350 PowerPoint slides. Uh, but a lot of people that came, they were like, oh yeah, this was helpful. This was thankful. This was a great refresher. There was one person there who was like, oh, this was really interesting. I was, I haven't got taken my CPC classes yet, but this kind of gave me an insight on like what to kind of expect and look for. And then there was just like one guy there who was just so pissed off. And he left me a, a feedback form that said, uh, you know, this was the worst presentation I've ever been to. And if I'd have had to pay for this, I'd have been really pissed off and this and that. And I'm like, well, thank God you didn't. I mean, I didn't force you to sit here <laughs> the presentation. Um, but, you know, we all start off rough. You have to start out somewhere and, you know, you just take those feedback and, and move on from there and see where you can make, like Tony said, those those improvements going forward. Yeah, there was one evaluation I got from someone that, and I swear to this day, they must have been evaluating the wrong speaker when they said this, because I know there's no way this can be true. They said that speaker was dry and boring. You definitely meant to rate somebody else. That was not me, okay? You got Stacy Buck confused with somebody else who was dry and boring. Say what you want about me, dry and boring is not me, not even close when it comes to speaking, so... Anyway, thank you ladies so much for sharing uh, your tips with everyone. Hopefully everyone out there, you are now ready to hit that speaking circuit. Go out there and get them. So this concludes our episode of Stage Fright to Stardom Confessions from Professional Conference Speakers. And join us next time for another episode of Coding Consultant Confessions. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhomes, Stacey Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. Connect with the Coding Consultant Confessions podcast on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Simply search for Coding Consultant Confessions on any of these platforms to connect and engage with Tony, Stacey, and Victoria.